Our theme this year at Northside in 2018 is Growing in Grace. Our goal is to help us not only to know Christ, but to grow in our relationship with Him and our understanding of Him and mature as Christians. So I hope it will be beneficial for you, whether you do not know Christ at all, or whether you've known Him for just a little while, or maybe perhaps nearly your whole life. Uh, so as we're going to go through that, uh, the sermon series this year will be toward that end, talking about grace, talking about maturity, talking about growing, and how we can do that in Christ. I believe the Bible speaks in many places, and currently we are in Romans chapter 6 for our series called All Things New. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away Behold, the new has come. And this series is about how in Christ we can become a new creation. And that's not just true spiritually. I believe Christ affects how we live, how we think, which we're going to talk about today. How we interact with others and how uh, life here in this world looks pretty different once we meet Christ. It was true then, it's true today. Uh, the first series was in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where, where we said that the only way, the only way... To have new life is to be born again. Jesus said, a man cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. And so we understand that that's faith and baptism. It it starts for many people in the waters just behind me. But that's not the end. That's not the goal. That's the beginning. That's the starting point. It's the first step of a very long journey. Then in last week we said in Romans chapter 6 verses 5 through 8 that once you are in Christ, once you've been born again, you can be certain of your salvation. And hopefully you can answer the question, are you going to heaven with one word, certainly. And that certainty ought to affect your joy, your worship, your service, your Christian life. It makes a huge difference. Now, today we're in Romans chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. If you're in your own Bible, on your iPad, on your phone, whatever you use, turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're invited to take a pew Bible. There should be one right in front of you. You're going to turn to page 1000. 117. And I don't say that. Some people ask why you've been saying the page numbers. Listen, not everyone knows exactly where a book in the Bible is. It can be very intimidating. Uh, People are very intimidated. So there is no shame in, in turning by page number or using the table of contents. I'd rather you do that and be in the word than to just simply sit back and say, well, I'll just let all these Christian people do the searching in God's word. Listen, it's not the preacher. It's not the Christian people that have the effect on your life. It's God's word that is so powerful. And so if you'll open it up this morning and not just open the book, but open your heart and your mind to God's word, it will do the changing that needs to happen. As you turn there, Romans chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, I need for you to imagine in your mind. You might just go ahead and close your eyes. Some of you are already there. Uh, If you'll just picture in your mind a a boat in in the middle of water. And I don't care where the water is, pond, a lake, or even the ocean, but it's surrounded by water. You need to know that whether that's a novice sailor or been sailing the seas their entire lives... Uh, They understand one true principle, and that is this. There is no danger to that boat from the water, so long as the water stays outside the boat. Once the water begins to come inside the boat, then you get problems. And so a a person can sail uh, on a pond, on a lake, on an ocean, and as long as the water doesn't get inside, we don't have a, a problem 
In a similar sort of way, you can open your eyes now. I mean it because I need you to pay attention for this part. His grace, God's grace, is what keeps the vessel of your life from sinking. It keeps everything inside that should be there. It keeps everything out that shouldn't be there. In Noah, in Genesis chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, the story is there told of when God told Noah to go and build the ark. And he said, go build the ark out of gopher wood. And you say, preacher, what is gopher wood? And to which I say, the best guess I have is it meant gopher, gopher, go find some wood. Go far and find some wood. I don't know. I don't know what gopher wood is, but he built it out of gopher wood. And then it says, I want you to coat the ark inside and out with pitch or with tar. Okay? And, and, and in, in a similar sort of way, grace is that holy tar, that holy pitch that kind of keeps the inside and the outside of our vessel protected from the waters that we sail in. Now, uh, I know, I'm sorry, I already lost them. We're talking about boats and water. And I, I went and did it. I lost the millennials. I'm sorry. Um, I need a better visual here. Got anything? Because um, they don't understand too much about boating. Ah, here, I got one. You know, every generation has their shame. I don't mean to bring this up. Every generation has it. I mean, the boomer generation, they had Woodstock. And they look back and they go, oh, what were we doing? You know, my generation, we had pet rocks. You don't know what pet rocks are. It's, Really dumb. Your generation, we're trying to figure it out, right? We're trying to figure out what the shameful moment is of your generation. And like, cut, cut some options here. First, we thought it was skinny jeans. Okay? Like, oh man, that's it's the opposite of bell bottoms. Um, and we thought, no, it kept progressing a little bit. And then it was like, fidget spinners. That's gotta be it, right? These silly old things. And, okay? And there's, but then we figured out, figured out what it is. Just this last couple of weeks, it's come out. Um, now see, the rest of us in this room view these as, um, something to do your laundry with, uh, Tide Pods. Now these are not the official, these are generic, but the millennials are viewing these as candy. Now, yeah, they're eating the Tide Pods. See, I told you, they're eating the Tide Pods. It's called the Tide Pod Challenge. We're not going to do that this morning. Uh, these guys are actually excited. They think I'm passing out candy. Listen. First of all, I'm sorry that your generation will have to wear that scar forever, the Tide Pod generation. But, but maybe it's a, a better than boats and water. You see, this, this Tide Pod will not hurt you. In fact, they've got a whole container. You can stick your hand in there, swish it around, not going to hurt you at all. Not one single bit. But you take one of these and put it in your mouth, uh, that's it. That's it. It's over. Okay? And I don't care how many likes, retweets, or whatever you get, but... That, that's so silly, but it illustrates our point. See, the danger doesn't come from the Tide Pod. It's from ingesting the Tide Pod. So I'm sorry I have to explain this to your generation, but do not eat the Tide Pods. These are not candy. They're for your laundry, okay? Right? I see Emma. She's writing it down. Do not eat the Tide Pods. Thank you. I am so sorry. <laughs> Preacher has to explain that. Now, the point is this. We've got to be careful not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside, okay? Don't let the water on the inside. Don't eat the Tide Pods, okay? Now, if you're in Romans chapter 6, you've got this visual in your mind of the water outside versus the water inside. Bryce Bollet will now read, starting in Romans chapter 6, and we're going to read verse, starting in verse 10. 
The death he died, he died to sin, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul's been speaking about grace and about the new life in Christ. And as we talk today about a new way, the first thing we want to talk about is that the new way requires new thinking about sin. And don't jump ahead of me here. You're saying, well, what's the new thinking? In some ways, it's just really old thinking. But in compared to what our world thinks, this is new thinking. We have to begin to view sin for what it is. Sin, loosely defined, is missing the mark. It's just not doing what God has asked us to do or, the converse of that, doing that which God has told us not to do. When you become a Christian, uh, there's two things that happen according to Acts 2, verse 38. You receive the forgiveness of sins when you're baptized, but you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people have abused the Holy Spirit to a point that we get uncomfortable talking about it, and I have no problem talking about it because he's so prevalent throughout the pages of Scripture. In fact, he inspired the words of Scripture that we love so much. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit will not act outside of what the Scripture teaches, but he helps us along. Uh, Jesus called him a helper, a, a counselor, a guide. And one of the ways in which he helps us, in my opinion, when you're immersed into Christ and you receive the forgiveness of your sins, you get a new guest. Inside your heart, okay? The new guest is the Holy Spirit. And what he does is he moves in and he takes up residence in your heart. And he doesn't, he's not just content to just stay there. He moves stuff around. He reprioritizes things. He takes some stuff out of it that shouldn't be there. It's his desire to mold your heart into the image of Christ. Now, we understand that if that happens, one of the first ways in which the Spirit changes us is by transforming our thinking. If you're in Romans chapter 6, just ease on over six more chapters to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. An old college professor said one time that Romans 6 teaches us how to become a Christian. Romans 12 teaches us how to remain a Christian. I really like that. And he says, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not... Be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, if you want to be free from sin that that Christ freed you from, you got to be free in your thinking. You have to change your thinking about what sin is and how devastating it truly is to your life. Unfortunately... We see sin too often as entertaining, cute, funny, not a big deal. And and it is not such to God, or else why would he have sent his son to die for us? If you want to be free from sin, you need to think correctly about what sin is and your relationship to sin. See, Paul says, back to Romans chapter 6 now, in verse 11, he said, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. 
That's a, it's, it's a vivid picture. Okay, if a dead body has no interaction with the room or the people or in the environment around. There's no effect upon that. What he's saying here is that you're going to still live in a sinful world, but that sin should not have an effect if you consider yourselves dead to it. If you think correctly about it and your relationship to it, sin won't have any effect on you. See, there's no, there's no danger to the vessel as long as the water remains outside the vessel. In a strange sort of way, if you think about temptation, some of you may say, well, God's tempting me. God's No, listen, God never tempts you. He doesn't tempt anyone. Turn to James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. In James chapter 1, James is very clear about this. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, this verse 13 of James 1, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. No one goes into the deep end of sin immediately. No, they must start in the shallow end and walk little by little until eventually their feet can no longer touch and they find themselves in a condition, a state where they cannot swim and they begin overwhelmed by the water. No, the enemy does not work by trying to lure us to jump immediately into the deep end. He starts with the shallow end. See, if, if, if he wants us to get us to think, to, to sin, he has to change our thinking. Uh, think of some examples of this. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve did not immediately partake of the fruit. She had to be convinced in her mind that it was good to the eye, it was pleasing for food. And then she took some and ate of it and gave it to, to her husband who was with her. See, she didn't just uh, immediately turn away from God. It was a gradual process. The enemy does not take us to hell immediately by, by just dragging us there. He turns the degree of heat up one degree at a time. That we get comfortable with it. That we get used to it. That we, that we become uh, accustomed to the idea that this is okay. We rationalize. We reason through it. See, that's the way in which the enemy can use our mind against us. So the grace of God helps us into a new way of thinking. A man does not commit adultery in a single act. But it's not a a long time ago when he let pornography into his heart and began to infest his heart and his thinking about women as objects. He began to linger a little longer with that thought in his mind. He began to have a conversation and begin engaged in that conversation and stay with a lady who was not his wife until gradually he finds himself doing that and violating the marriage covenant that he had claimed to keep. A woman does not embezzle millions of dollars from her company, but instead she is first enticed by greed. Just a few dollars at a time, just a little bit here, a little bit there, until greed and covetousness have taken over her heart and she finds herself embezzling millions. Murders never happen in the act, but much longer before the act, when the seeds of hate and anger and rage are allowed to fester and grow 
and expand into the heart. Do you see how the enemy works? He plants seeds within the heart. If he can get just one tiny seed into the heart, he can create a whole lot of weeds within the heart that only grace can attend to. May we then not see sin, any sin, as cute, light, amusing, or funny, but may we deal with it so severely as God did. May we see it for the danger that it is to escape being mastered by sin. We must consider ourselves dead to it, not moved by it, and not desiring to have any Part of it. May we never ever view sin in a light way. The scriptures teach in 1 Thessalonians 5 flee from the very appearance of evil. Friends, guests, brothers and sisters, sin offers you nothing good. I promise. I promise it tempts you that it will. I promise it tempts you that you are missing out on something if you do not partake. But sin offers you nothing good. Think of the sin that you are struggling with. Think of the sin maybe you're walking in and you think it doesn't hurt anybody. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody does it, which is what the enemy's trying to do to twist your mind. Just, just for a second, step back and multiply for a second. Multiply what you're doing in your mind. You're, you're stealing from your company. And, and it's just a few dollars. It's just a, a fudging a few numbers here and there. It, no one's really going to miss it. No one even cares. They trust me. Multiply it by a hundred. Imagine that they do find out. Imagine they begin digging and, and perceiving that you're a crook. And they, they take you off to jail and they put your picture in the paper and there's a whole big story. Multiply it by a hundred or a thousand. As you sit in the darkness of a room watching websites that you shouldn't watch. Imagine for a second that someone gets a hold of that information and they publicize it, they put it out there. Imagine that you're enticed into cheating on your spouse and, and, and imagine the shame that that would bring not only to you but to your spouse, to your family. Just multiply it for a second. Just, just take the tiny things and multiply them out and just imagine what could happen. Now, I want you to think that's what sin wants to happen. Remember when Cain... Seth, I'm sorry, getting my characters mixed up here. Cain was tempted to kill Abel. And he was warned, he says, what is the problem here? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must master it. Sin desires to have you. It desires to destroy you. So James warns us again. Go back to the book of James, chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. He deals quite strongly. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I, I know that's not an inspiring, uplifting verse to read. It probably not crocheted on any of your walls. But it's the truth. And, and, and I don't want you to I don't hear me preaching this to, to make you walk away from here feeling terrible. What James is talking about is mourning for your sin. Not desiring, that. I mean, seeing sin for what it is as God sees it and wanting no part of it and running as far and as fast as you can from it. The grace of Jesus Christ will keep us from the 
fires of hell eternally, but it will also keep us from the fires that enter the heart internally, little by little, one day at a time. But you see, it's, there's more to it than that. It's not just about avoiding sin. That's one part of it. Some people love to hear hellfire and brimstone sermons preached, but there's, there's, a, there's a part of it that, we, yes, we need to avoid sin, we need to turn, we need to flee, as Paul wrote. But we also have something to live for. It's not just about what we're escaping from. It's about what we are living for. You see, grace teaches us not only that we must have a new way of thinking about sin, but it moves us from avoiding sin to pursuing grace. In verse 13 in Romans 6, did you catch it? Did you, did you see? If you, if you not, go back in Romans 6 verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Our walk of grace is more than about dying to sin. It's more than about dying to sin. It's about living for the Savior. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Training us to renounce godliness and worldly passions, as the first part of the sermon. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's not just enough to be against everything. And, and some people in the world, especially, view Christians as just against everything. And yes, we should be against sin. But there's two parts to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not just about escaping sin. It's living to the Savior and for him and by his grace. It's not just about what you escaped from. It's also about what you're living Four. Uh, think of some some simple examples of this. We've we've mentioned several sins and struggles that people go through. And let me ask you, how are you living this out? You can be against greed. You can be struggling with greed and covetousness, and and you should flee from that. But but maybe a better, in addition to that, would be to fill it by being a giver. By blessing someone else who's in need. You can, you can be against divorce. Divorce is a terrible thing. It tears families. It, it is an unending tearing of the covenant. But listen, you need to understand that God hates divorce. God does not hate divorced people. So my question to you is, how are you showing grace to couples who are married? How are you encouraging them to stay married? Are you willing to be a mentor for another couple who's just getting started? Are you willing to invite people over to your house who are married and encouraging them to not give up? You can be against a lot of things. You can be against abortion. Abortion is a terrible thing. Killing of the innocent. Uh, one of the black spots of humanity, in my opinion. And we should be against it. 
But there's also something else we can do. We can be for some things. We can be for adoption. We can be for fostering a child. We can help out a single parent who's struggling and who made the decision to keep the child and encourage them that that was the right thing to do. So it's not just saying what we're against. It's also about talking about what we're for. Don't just curse the darkness of the world, but figure out how to let his light shine in the world that you live in. Christians shouldn't just play not to lose. We shouldn't just play with the goal being that we barely escaped hell, but that we had a, a victory through Jesus. So may we move from just avoiding sin to pursuing grace. I want to remind you not to forget your grace challenge. You have about, uh, I guess it would be not ten more days uh, left of January for this grace challenge. And several of you have taken it up on it. The challenge for this month is paying it backwards. And just to uh, bless someone else by giving them an undeserved, unmerited gift. A couple of those that were shared. Uh, Mark Hoyle shared that he uh, and Beth were at uh, Taco Bell. I'm not sure what you're doing. They were in the land of the heathens at Taco Bell. Um, and they, they decided to pay it backward. And that led to a conversation with the folks that they bought the meal for. And they talked a little bit about Northside and our message of grace. And that's a... A cool thing, and I hope that you'll lead them to Chick-fil-A at some point. (laughs) Lavera Leopard said that she and Ken went to Subway for lunch and and had a similar experience and were able to bless a young man who was, by all appearances, a a very hard worker. And he was just very uh, astounded and amazed that someone was willing to do that. If you've done that, if you've blessed someone by paying it backwards, I'd love for you to share some of those stories with me. Thank you for doing that because that's the goal this year with these challenges is to not just think about grace and what it saved us from, but to be active vessels of grace, pouring it out into our world. This morning, I want to ask you, maybe you think your ship is sunk. Maybe you think there's too many leaks in the boat. And I want to tell you that God's grace is still available. And and if your ship is sinking, I I want to invite you to journey with Jesus, who can be the only rescue, first that you'll ever need, but the only one that's sufficient. And and if you will bring your life to Christ and submit to him, uh, not just in confessing him as Lord, but, but being immersed into the waters of baptism, uh, you can begin again. You're, you're, you can have a, a life vessel. You can ha- be rescued uh, from the waters that threaten to engulf you. And maybe you've been in Christ, but you've started letting some water come over the edge of your vessel. Uh, if you need to stop that, if you need to change, if you need our prayers, our encouragement, we want to help you in whatever way we can. This morning, I want to invite you, whatever need you might have, to come to Jesus, who is the answer, who is our grace, all-sufficient, and who is the remedy, the Savior from our sin. If you have a need of him, uh, won't you come forward this morning as together we stand and sing.